0: The following biography is taken from a book, Memoirs of Eminently Pious Women, Reverend Samuel Birder, 1836. Mrs. Ann Dutton was born at Northampton sometime about the end of the 17th century, but the particulars of her age and family are not known. She appears from her writings to have been a woman of considerable abilities and great religious attainments. The account she gives of herself was published in London in 1743 but where or when she died, we have not been able to ascertain. The following is extracted from that copy in nearly in her own words. Quote, I had the advantage of as a religious education, my parents being both pious and both whose care and diligence I was trained up in the ways of God, being early instructed into the doctrines and worship of the gospel so far as my tender years were capable of. I attended with my parents upon the ministry of the late Mr. Hunt at Northampton which is the place of my first and also of my second birth. I kept up private prayer frequently, but not constantly. From a child, I was acquainted with holy scriptures and took pleasure in reading them, with other good books, especially hymn books, which I greatly delighted to learn and commit to memory. My natural affections at times were much raised in reading some parts of the Bible and other books, so that I preferred religious exercises to the childish vanity of play with my fellows, which some judge to be the buddings of grace in my soul. However, from a child I was under convictions, at times, and my conscience was kept so tender, that I was easily touched with the guilt of sin, when I thought I had done anything amiss. And when I was under guilt, it would hinder me from prayer, until it was a little worn off, but then I thought to be better. and to prayer I went again. And if I could pray with any enlargements, my conscience was eased. And I was quite whole, and went on with religious exercises as before. But notwithstanding my attendance upon public and private worship, my notions of divine mysteries, my memory to retain the best things, and my raised affections in religious exercises, I was, though I had little reason for it, a proud, Self-righteous creature, though I had notions of these things, yet alas the inbred enmity of my heart appeared in my attempting to join something of my own with Christ, seeking life as it were by the works of the law, which is a way that seems right to a man but the end thereof is death. Proud worm that I was. I valued myself upon my supposed attainments and thought my eternal happiness secured thereby, I've been ready at times to bless myself thus, and when I have seen other children at play. Well, others are employed about vanity, but I know better things. I have been at prayer while others are at play, doubtless. I am safe for heaven. But if anyone had asked a reason of my confidence, it must have been if I had spoken my heart, because I'm better than others, so wicked and vain I was. Notwithstanding all my religious seriousness, that I went about to establish my own filthy righteousness, and was far from submitting to the righteousness of God, rejecting the Savior, I might have been left to go on, dependent upon my own righteousness, and to perish with thousands in a splendid way to hell. And here I would further observe that though I mostly had a false peace from my supposed goodness, yet, at times it was broken by my badness my conscience would accuse me for my vanities and evils is not being all of a peace it's not acting consistently with that show which i made in religion and oft have i strove to stifle convictions and against the force of them when my honored father talked closely to me for the good of my soul Blow a little time before the lord wrought savingly on my heart to begin to be more airy and proud and to please myself with creature vanities and thus being estranged from God and an enemy to him, with my back upon God and my face towards destruction, I went on in sin, towards eternal death, and was so far from having any fitness in me for conversion to God, or any goodness to move his favor, that I had a fulness of rebellion, a fulness of sin in me to provoke his wrath, and was fit fuel for everlasting burnings and justly might I have been made an example of God's vengeance, of his fiery indignation and the torments of hell forever. But behold, to commend the love of God towards me, he took me at my worst. For God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved me, even when I was dead in sins, did quicken me together with Christ. It pleased the Lord to work savingly upon my heart, when I was about thirteen years of age, though I cannot fix the precise time of its beginning, which judge was the less discernible to me, by reason of my being so frequently under concern of soul before. But however this I can say, that my concern at this time was much greater and more lasting than ever before, nor could I find peace where I was wont to find it. There was a mighty impression made upon my heart of the reality and consequence of a future state, either of misery or glory, of unspeakable happiness, or inconceivable torment, together with the nearness of its approach. Oh, eternity! Eternity was ever before my eyes, in the worth of my own soul, as an immortal spirit, capable of the highest glory and the eternal enjoyment of God, or of the utmost misery, in an everlasting separation from him was strongly impressed upon my mind. Again, The misery of my natural state was set before me as a transgressor of the holy law. I thought all the curses in God's book belonged to me, and further, the law of God was now open to me in its spirituality. It's extending to thoughts, to most inward motions of my soul, as well as to my words and actions. This raised a cry in my soul, though I kept it as close as I could from others. What must I do to be saved? Now I set about religion in good earnest. I prayed. I read, heard, in very different manner from what I had ever done before. But my wound was too deep to be healed with my own doings now. My soul was removed far off from peace. A dreadful sound was in my ears. The law of God pursued me with his curses, notwithstanding all my religious duties, even for the sins that attended them. Which, till now, I was an under stranger, too. Before I was a beautiful creature in my own eyes, as wrapped round with my fine doings. but now I saw myself to be a most deformed object, a loathsome spectacle in the eyes of God, and was so in my own sight. My best righteousness now appeared to be but filthy rags, which were so far from justifying me before God. Did he really increase my guilt and condemnation by reason of the sin that clave to them? I saw sin now, in another light than before. I saw the exceeding sinfulness and hatefulness of it, in its contrariety to God, the chief good. The guilt which before attended my conscience, on account of sin, respected only the outward actions thereof in my life. But now I saw myself guilty by reason of heart sins. Yea, my eyes were now open to see the filthy fountain, whence all the defiled strains both in heart and life proceeded. I saw that I was shapen in iniquity, and that in sin my mother conceived me, that I was brought into the world a sinner, with a guilty, filthy nature, all over defiled from head to foot, as a descendant from fallen Adam. Again, I was convinced that I'd been doing nothing else but sinning against God ever since I had a being, and I wondered at infinite patience. Did it born with me and suffered me to live so long out of hell? I now no longer thought myself to be better than others, but one of the foulest creatures the earth ever bore. Yea, I thought myself to be the very chief of sinners, for though restraining grace had kept me from outward enormities, yet... I could look upon those of the most flagitious lives and think myself a worse sinner than they. The plague of my heart was now opened, and oh, what a complication of sins! What filth and abominations did I there see? This made me loathe myself in my own sight. Again, I was convinced of my own weakness and real inability to do anything that was spiritually good or in the least wise to help myself out of that miserable distress condition I was in, saw myself to be carnal, sold under sin, and that I was so far from being able to help myself out of that horrible pit I was plunged into, that the more I struggled to get out, the deeper I sunk into it. And this inability to help myself respected not only the guilt and filth, but also the power of sin, I saw that I was held as in chains under the dominion of sin, and the power and being as well as the guilt and filth of sin were now a great burden to my soul. I saw that nothing less than an omnipotent arm could pluck me out of those amazing deeps, and now I was undone indeed, just ready to perish in my own apprehension, being filled at times with terrible fears of approaching wrath so that I had been in dread in the evening. When I went to bed, lest I should lift up my eyes in hell before morning, again it pleased the Lord to convince me that salvation was alone by God's free grace, through what Christ had done as a redeemer of sinners, and that it was impossible for me to be saved without faith in Christ, at the special operation of God. Further, I was fully convinced of the sufficiency of Christ to save even the worst of sinners, and that there was salvation in him which the chosen of God should assuredly attain. Again there was a soul-ravishing, heart-attracting revelation of Christ made to me, in his infinite suitableness as a Savior to my present case, as an undone sinner, and also of his infinite ability to save me to the uttermost from the depths of misery to the heights of glory. And though what I heard of salvation as yet was, but, as it were, in general propositions, as that Christ died for the chief of sinners, he to believe shall be saved, and so on. But the possibility of salvation for me was hinted, yet, so powerful an influence had it on my soul that it kept me from despair and held my heart at the throne of grace, and indeed some glimmerings of salvation by Christ together with the possibility of its being for me, were so intermingled with my forementioned convictions that it kept me from sinking into desperation. About this time, I was put upon some doubt about election, whether there was any such thing, and received full satisfaction from Romans 11.5. There is a remnant, according to the election of grace. But then, to know whether I was elected, this was my chief concern, for the notions I before had of the doctrines of the gospel were not sufficient to comfort me now. I could no longer rest satisfied with knowing that God had chosen a remnant in his Son, unto eternal life unless I knew my own interest in electing grace nor that christ had died for sinners without knowing that he loved me and gave himself for me and so on i saw it nothingness nothing as to salvation to know for others unless i know these things for my own soul god's electing grace stood forth before my eyes in an amazing glory but oh to know whether i was one of god's chosen I saw the inexpressible blessedness of those who were interested in Christ's person, love, life, death, and glory. But, oh, to tormenting fears which at times racked my heart, lest I should stand excluded from all this grace. I was at once, I remember reading the 17th chapter of John, and when it came to those words, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. My heart was as if struck through with a dart, fearing that I was none of the Lord's, but of the world, and as such stood excluded from Christ's prayer. And those words also were weighty upon my mind. Psalm 73 verses 1 and 2 Truly God is good to Israel, even as such as of a clean heart. But as for me, for I went no further, for from the first verse I saw how infinitely good God was to his own people, and how unspeakably blessed they were, disinterested interested in all of its goodness, so that from those clear and demonstrative views I had of it, I could with my whole soul join with the psalmist and say, truly God is good to Israel, even as such, as are of a clean heart? But then, from the first clause of the second, was filled with fears, to my state, was just a reverse to that of those happy souls which were interested in God and in all of his goodness. Yea, sometimes found despairing thoughts forcing themselves upon me, as if I was irrecoverably lost, and at times I was fit to bewail my misery, in a verse of Mr. Mason's poem upon Dives and Lazarus. God's gone, he's gone, and what in hell is this to be deprived of everlasting bliss? But, though rich grace, Everlasting arms being but underneath me, I was not left to sink into despair, nor was I long without hopes that I should find mercy, the greatness and sovereignty of Jehovah's mercy and grace, the fullness and freeness of Christ's salvation, together with the indefinite promises of the gospel, were as many cords which powerfully drew my soul to venture into the presence of God and prostrate myself at the throne of grace as a lost, undone sinner as it were, with a rope about my neck, or as under a full conviction, and an open confession of my heaven deserved to die the death. I was, as it were, brought before the bar of God, and asked, if I had anything to say, why might not be sent down to the pit? And lo, I stood guilty. My mouth was stopped before the Lord, and I wondered that he had spared me so long. I saw that i destroyed myself. And if I was the next moment sent down to hell, I could justify the righteousness and holiness of God therein. Dead word was much to me upon this account. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways and holy in all of his works. Ah, thought I, it will be so in my condemnation. If I am punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, his righteousness and holiness will shine forth herein so that I had nothing to plead upon the foot of justice. But yet, my soul was mightily engaged with the greatest intenseness to seek life upon the ground of free mercy and rich grace displayed in a crucified Jesus. Out of the depths of misery I cried unto the depths of mercy. so poor publican, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And God's design to exalt his mercy and glorify his grace in saving lost souls did furnish me with arguments to plead with him to display these riches in my salvation, as a very chief of sinners, I thought that if I was saved, there would be never another such an instance of grace in heaven, and thus I pleaded with God that he would display the riches of his glory in saving me, to show what a God of grace he was, and what wonders the exceeding riches of sovereign grace and free mercy could work for the most miserable. Thus, as a poor perishing sinner, I waited at the throne of grace with earnest longings and some hopes that mercy would bid me live. I saw that there was grace enough in God to save me, and oft the language of my soul was like to centurions to Christ concerning a servant, say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. Luke 7 verse 7 So have I said, Speak, but the word Lord, and my soul shall be saved. Bid me live, and I shall live in your sight. I had faith in Christ's ability to save me but oh my unbelief I questioned his willingness I was surrounded with a crowd of discouragements which forbade my soul crying after him but so powerfully did the Father draw me to Christ by revealing his infinite fulness and freeness to save together with his exceeding suitableness to my case and there, there was yet hope for me that though attended with fears I passed through all difficulties and cast myself at the foot of free grace in Christ, resolving that if I did perish, it should be at mercy's feet. But before I proceed further, I would just sum up the effects of this work of the Holy Ghost upon my soul. By this, he took me off from the ground of self-dependence, and laid all my hopes of eternal happiness upon a new foundation, even the free grace of God in Christ. By this, he made me low and loathsome in my own eyes, and made Christ, Exceeding high and precious in my esteem, by this he made me long for, and seek after holiness, as much as happiness, yea, to esteem it an essential part thereof. And in a word by this, he made God in Christ all to me, and everything else. Nothing in comparison of him, that I could say with the psalmist in respect of desire, though not of appropriation, whom have I in heaven but thee and there is none on earth that I desire besides thee. In the next place I would hint something of the means which the Lord was pleased to make use of in this work upon my heart. The ministry of his word was blessed for increasing my concern and enlarging my desires. Though I found not that soul-satisfying consolation in which I thirsted after, I waited at wisdom's gate with earnest longings to find Christ, and every Lord's day the breathings of my soul were wont to be that this might be the time wherein I might find Jesus, in the manifestations of his love to my poor soul. And though I found not him whom I so loved to the satisfaction of my desires, yet I did not give over seeking, and my longings were increased hereby. Again, the reading of God's word was another means which was greatly blessed to my soul, both for the discovery of my misery and the revelation of the remedy to Psalms of David and Paul's epistles were very precious to me. I saw such a transcendent excellency in Christ that my soul impatiently longed for the knowledge of interest in him. Might I have had the whole world given me? Ay, thousands of them. There had been so many they would have all been to me, but empty, unsatisfying trifles. And if I had but Christ, I thought, I could freely bear all the miseries and distresses which his can possibly be exposed to in this present time. Esteemed it a far happier state to suffer affliction with the people of God, than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. I saw such an inexpressible glory in his person, as well as in his salvation, and he was, to me, all my desire. And the thoughts of an everlasting separation from him, as a sum of all perfection and fountain of blessedness, wounded me to the quick. Oh, that word! Depart from me, you cursed! How did it pierce my heart! Oh what abundance did I see in that little word, me, depart from, me, oh, thought I, if the Lord would bid me depart from everything else I could bear it, but how shall I endure it, if I am bid to depart from him, I saw so much in Christ that I judged none happy but such as who were interested in him, and none miserable, but those separated from him. Yea saw that an interest in him and a fountain of blessedness was enough to make his unspeakable blessed in the most afflicted condition that could possibly befall them, This shone forth gloriously to me in those words happy is that people that is in such a case. Yea happy is that people whose God is the Lord. The one hundred and nineteenth Psalm was also very precious to me. Oh how has my soul breathed out its desire to God for life and holiness in that psalm? I saw such a hatefulness in sin that made me loathe it and such an excellency in holiness that made it exceeding desirable to me insomuch that I once thought what if I must go to hell at last i desire i may be holy here this though i can hardly account for i well remember a sense of the wonderful goodness and forbearance of god did at that time mightily overpower my heart which together with the suitableness of holiness to the new nature wrought in my soul I judge to be the reason thereof, and I cannot but think that there must have been some hopes that I should find mercy at the bottom of it also, which wound up my heart to that pitch of love to God and holiness, although I was so far from assurance of it, did I put it as a question, as suppose I should not, or if I should not find mercy at last, I desire I may be holy here, and I must just mention a temptation with which I was assaulted, When the Lord had shown me the plague of my own heart, the filthiness of my best performances, and wrought up my soul into hatred of sin and love to holiness, Satan said upon me thus, You would not sin against God for a world. Your prayers are sin, therefore you should not pray. And he backed his temptation with this word, The sacrifice, or prayer, of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, by which I was struck down as with a thunderbolt filled with deep distress. I had but this one way of venting the bitterness of my soul, and if this was shut up, I knew not what to do, but to please the Lord to deliver me from the power of this temptation in a little time, by showing me that it was my duty to pray, and a grave sin to neglect it, and that though I could not pray without sin, yet it was a greater sin not to pray. As for conversation with Christian friends, I had not that advantage, by reason of a temptation which I mostly lay under, that I should prove but a hypocrite, that my concern would wear off as my former convictions had done, and that I should return again to folly, and therefore it was better to say nothing. I accordingly endeavored to conceal my trouble, but it was too great to be hid from my dear parents. I could never read in a family, but my deep concern was very visible, although I strove to refrain tears. And I remember that one time in particular my dear father, observing the same, took occasion to speak to me about my soul, and would fain have known how it was with me. And though I longed to tell him of my misery, and bewail my undone state, yet, lying under the above-mentioned temptation, I could say nothing, but only broke out in a flood of tears. The concern of my soul was now exceeding great, beyond what I had ever been before acquainted with was attended with this difference, and all my former convictions I was glad to get my trouble off, and ease a conscience as soon as possible, but now I dreaded nothing more than that my concern should wear off without a saving conversion to Christ, and the Lord himself speaking life and comfort to my soul. I knew that if I was left in a state of unbelief, to find ease and rest anywhere else than in the bosom of Christ, I must perish forever, and therefore I had a great dread of carnal security. I was desirous to be wounded to the quick, to be searched to the bottom, and to endure the pain of my wounds until Christ's own hand should heal me. And the knowledge I had that it was God's usual way first to kill, and then to make alive, was of great use to me, and afforded me some hopes that the present death and distress I was under might be, but in order to my joy in life evermore. And therefore I feared the least interval of distress if not upon a right foundation. Another means the Lord was pleased to make use of was a book that was cast into my hands, which treated of the happiness and glory of the saints in heaven, and it consists in a perfect enjoyment of God in conformity to him. This book was greatly blessed to my soul to give me more to see, and long more earnestly for the transcendent happiness of God's people. Thus I went on, one while in hopes, another while in fears, for about four months. No satisfaction could I get of my interest in the Lord Jesus. At length it pleased the Lord to visit me with a very dangerous illness, a fever with convulsions and the nerves to a violent degree, so that my life was despaired of. All means used for my recovery proven ineffectual, I was given up by the physician, and judged by all that saw me to be very near death. My body was filled with exquisite pain, but the agonies of my soul were a much greater distress. Death stared me in the face. I thought myself just ready to launch into a vast eternity. I knew not what would become of my poor soul. And now my distress rose high indeed. The waves and billows of God's wrath passed over me. I sank in deep waters where there was no standing. Necessity was upon me. I must venture on Christ or perish, believe or die. And the conflict of my soul between faith and unbelief was exceeding great. Like a man drowning, caught at every twig. I labored a day cold of the promises to keep me from sinking. But if I got a little support one moment, my innumerable transgressions as so many weights came pressing in upon me and sunk me the next. Oh, here lay the difficulty to believe for myself in the face of so much sin and guilt. The avenger of blood was at my heels. Christ Jesus The hope of sinners was in my view. My soul was fleeing for refuge to lay hold thereon. But all the weights which hung about me did much hinder my motion. The speediness of my flight. My friends labored to comfort me. But I often thought this very verse very expressive of my case at the time. Kind was the pity of my friends, but could not ease my smart. Their words indeed did reach my case, but could not reach my heart. Nature conflicted with the disease some days, until being quite spent, I was brought in all appearance to the point of death, my parents being put out of the room, that they might not see me depart. I could not speak, but had my senses perfectly, and now behold, a time of my extremity was God's opportunity. He made the storm a calm, and brought me to my desired haven. I had faith given me in that word, him, that comes unto me, I will in no wise cast out. And oh, the infinite grace and faithfulness I saw in it. Now I could believe for myself in the face of ten thousand discouragements. I came to Christ, just as I was, a guilty, filthy, undone sinner. Christ received me. I trusted my soul with him, believing that in infinite grace and faithfulness he would in no wise cast me out. Thus, I was enabled to take God at his word and said to myself that he is true nothing less than the exceeding greatness of God's power could have raised up my soul from those depths of unbelieving fears. To faith in Jesus, it was nothing less than an almighty voice that with one word of free grace could create peace in my troubled soul and cause both winds and waves to be still.